worthy of your praise tonight, church. Let's bless him one more time. Hallelujah. Before we even get into the word, we're going to ask the Lord to be with us as we always do in prayer. I don't know about you, but I need him this evening. I need him to bring forth the word with an anointing, with truth and with conviction where there needs to be conviction, with direction where there needs to be correction or direction. But I need the Holy Ghost and you do too. So let us go to the Lord one more time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are in this place this evening. We thank you, Father, where two or three are gathered in your name. There you are in the midst of them. And Father, I thank you that you have a household of people that have come to worship you this evening, come to magnify you, come to give you thanks. And they've also come, Lord God, to turn their needs and their requests over to you, which we've already done. But now, Father God, we ask that you would take our ears and that you would take our hearts, Father God, that you would take our minds, O God, and our lives and conform them to your image, to the power of your anointing, the power of your spirit and the power of your word. I pray, God, that you would come against every distraction, every hindering spirit, whatever it is that might try to influence, Father God, us in a negative way. But I pray, God, that we would receive your word with gladness. I confess my need for you and ask for the anointing of your Holy Spirit to touch me and touch your people as well, God. Be glorified in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Last week we had started a... We're Obviously, we're still in the parables uh, of Jesus Christ, the stories that have changed the world. I don't know how many more I'm going to do. I'll go until the Holy Spirit tells me otherwise. But last week, we started on the, the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, this week, we're on the same, the prodigal son part two. We'll go a few more verses, and I'll probably finish up next week, uh, or at least within the next two. But uh, the the... Parable is in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. I'm not going to read through all of those verses again. You can if you would like to and look over them as we go along. I'll touch on certain verses and introduce some new ones as well. But last week we looked, what we discovered last week, is we uh, looked at the condition of this young man's soul that was exposed by the words of his own mouth. The selfish words that he spoke to his father when he said, give me my inheritance, or we also looked at as him saying, give me what's mine. And what we determined last week by the words of his own mouth was, which was what was at the center of his soul. Because as you know, the word of God tells us from the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. And his mouth spoke all about himself. When he opened his mouth, we learned that he spoke all about his wants, his desires, his needs. He spoke all about me, myself, and I, and who was at the center of his soul. What we learned last week, church, was that this young man's words gave away the selfish condition of his soul. That's why we need to be so careful as to the words that we speak, because our words can give us away as well. But more than the words we speak, we need to make sure what's at the center of our soul, because we can fake it sometime with our words. But what we need to do is make sure that it's the, the soul that's in right condition so that we don't ever have to worry about the words that come forth from our mouth because they'll flow naturally. What we discovered last week, you know, I like to recap is this young man grew tired of living under his brother's shadow. He grew tired of his father's rules and regulations. He wanted to be his own boss. He wanted to walk in his own ways. So he asked for his money. 
He packed his bags and he went off to a distant land, we learned last week. He went off to a place where he thought no one could watch him sin, where no one could tell him what to do, where no one was always watching over his shoulder. And there the Bible tells us that he squandered or he scattered, he wasted all of his money on loose living. He wasted all of his money on a life that had no self-control. And how many of you know that when you have no self-control, everything you have seems to disappear? That's why it's one of the fruits of the Spirit, self-control comes from the Holy Spirit. And, but this is what was lacking in this young man's life. You're going to understand and discover as we go through this parable that the Spirit of the living God was not operating in him. It was the Spirit of flesh that was operating. That's why he had no self-control. He was given to every indulgence. He was given to every desire of the flesh. He was given to every lust. And before you know it, everything that he had, all the blessings that his father had bestowed upon him, went away. They just... They disappeared like sand through your hands. And this was what happened with this young man's life. And simply to recap, we discovered last week that just like Jonah, he tried to get away from God. He tried to get away from the Father. He tried to separate himself from the rules and the regulations of the Father that were keeping him from living like he pleased and doing just exactly what he wanted. I wonder, church, why do you think so many people stop coming to church when they start playing with sin? Why do you think so many people disappear from the household of faith when they start walking in their own ways, when they start giving themselves to the lust of the flesh and to the lust of the eyes? Why? It's because they they want to separate themselves from the Word of God. They want to separate themselves from the conviction of the Holy Spirit. They want to separate themselves from the Word of God and the will of God in their lives so they can do as they please without the Holy Spirit breathing down their neck. That's why we so often wander from the household of God when we start playing with sin, because we know that if we're here, we've got to be confronted. We know that if we're here, the Holy Spirit's going to confront us. So what do we do? Naturally, we separate ourselves from the Word of God and from the will of God. Why do you think we push away the Bible? Why do you think we, we, we push away from prayer time? Why do you think we push away from the, the spiritual disciplines that keep us close to God when we're wallowing in sin? It's so we don't have to deal with it. That's the only reason. So we can live without conviction. So we can live without shame. So we can live without embarrassment. At least we, that's what we think. But the Holy Spirit never leaves us. Amen. The Holy Spirit is always there. We can't get away from God. We learned that last week. So often that's what happens. And, and if we follow in that road, we finally find at the end of that road, just like this prodigal son... That nothing has been gained in the process. You see, when you walk according to your own desires, when you walk in your own wisdom, when you walk, when you fail to acknowledge God in all your ways, like we talked about last week, we find that at the end of that road is no pot of gold. We find that at the end of that road is not prosperity. It's not the things that we had hoped for. The things that lie at the end of the road of selfishness is nothing but destruction, nothing but poverty, nothing but pain. You see, the devil tries to paint pretty pictures upon the road that you're traveling to cause you to think you're headed in the right direction. He makes all sorts of false promises. Yeah, if you'll do this, this, this. If you follow me instead of the Father, I promise you this, this, this. And it, and it turns out that he, he's nothing but a liar. 
But sadly, we, we, we so often wander in our own ways and we've got to learn the difficult lessons of life just like this prodigal son did. But he gives us this word to remind us that there are roads that we shouldn't follow, paths that we shouldn't take so that we can avoid all of those things. What I want you to think about, church, is what was really going on in this young man's life. Because it's the same today. If you really study and look at it, what this son was thinking was, I hate all of these rules. Think about some of your own kids. Think about yourself when you were a teenager, when you were in this place like him. I I hate all these rules. You treat me like a child. You don't let me do anything, Dad. You don't trust me. I can't have any fun. All my friends get to do it, so why can't I? I've got to make my own mistakes. I've got to learn from my own mistakes. And, you know, the father let him in this parable. The father let him. All of my friends get to do it. So why can't I? And from the studies that I've done in this parable, church, I believe this is exactly what was going on in this household. Because if you look at the latter verses, even in verses 29 and 30, even the older son made reference to all of the father's rules and all of the father's regulations that he had in the house. The older son, you'll find when you read through the scripture, at one point said, you never let me party with my friends in today's language. He said, you never let me celebrate. He said, you never let me have my friends over and have a celebration. You never let me take out the wine. You never let me entertain the women. You never let me do what I want to do. He also goes on to say, I've done everything you've asked. I've followed every single one of your rules. He even says, I've slaved for you. As if everything the father asked him to do was excessive. But it wasn't. It was the natural duties of a godly son. It was the natural responsibilities of a son to his father if they wanted to partake of the father's blessings. You see, all of us need to understand that in a family there are duties. In a family there are responsibilities. You have responsibilities to the father. You have responsibilities to your spouse. You have responsibility to your children or to your parents. You have responsibilities to your brothers and sisters in the Lord. This young son failed to remember his responsibilities. And he wanted to walk away from them, and it's exactly what he did. He walked away from the responsibilities that he had. But I I said all that just to let you know that even the older son who was faithful, the older son who did everything that his father wanted him to do, it sounded to me like he thought the father's rules were a little excessive. Maybe you ought to back off a little bit, Dad. Maybe you ought to give us a little room, Dad. Maybe you ought to give us a little freedom, Dad. I think this is what was going on in the house, but we've got to realize that this father like Joshua decided that as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You see, this father decided that as for me and my house, this is the way that we're going to live. As for me and my house, these are the standards that I have in place. These are the rules that I have in place. These are the regulations. These are the statutes and the principles by which we all will live. And if you don't like it, guess what? We don't find him saying, if you don't like it, you got to go. We don't find that, but I'm telling you, this is what was happening in the house. He had rules, he had regulations, there were responsibilities and duties that these sons had to the household of faith and to the father. One of them grew weary of those and packed his bags and walked out. 
I wonder, church, how many parents begin to compromise at this point in their life. I wonder how many parents, listen, I've been in youth ministry a lot of my lives, a lot of the years of my life. I've sat down with parents. I've seen what goes on in the household. Even myself, I'll be honest with you, with the situations of of parenthood. The devil comes to you and he causes to try to get you to compromise in what you allow in your house or what you allow in your kids' lives. And the devil wants you to do exactly that. This father refused to compromise in his faith. He refused to bend the rules. He refused to compromise. He refused to give a little bit here so that the son could take a foot there. He stood by what he believed. But I wonder how many parents, when they're faced with the same situation, when they're faced with these same teenage struggles and stresses that come from their, their young adults or their teenagers, or even some kids. I mean, kids can be a stress. Little kids can be a stress. Teenagers can be a stress. Young adults can be a stress. But I wonder how many parents today, church, when they're faced with this kind of situation and this kind of rebellion going on in their house, begin to compromise just to try and keep a little peace. They compromise just to, to keep the, the kid at home. You see, there's a lot of individuals There's a lot of teenagers who know how to play their parents and they say, well, if I don't get this, I'm just going to pack up and move out. I'm going to leave. I'm going to run away. And what do the parents do? They cowtail and they give in to the rebellion of their son. They give in and they compromise just to have a little bit of peace. But it's not how you find peace, according to the word of God. And it's certainly not how the teenager finds his way to God by us compromising. I wonder how many, listen church, I wonder, I've talked to so many parents that allow the alcohol and the cigarettes in the home or in the car that they pay for. And they think at least, thank God it's not drugs. When both of them are drugs. So they allow a little bit of sin here and they allow a little bit of sin there, just hoping to bring some peace, hoping to calm some things down, hoping the son won't run away and do worse things. How many compromise and they allow the boyfriend to sleep over or the girlfriend to move in? It happens all the time, church, even in the household of faith. How many allow the seed of sin to grow in their own backyard, to grow in their own home, just, church, to satisfy the rebellious teenager that wants to walk in their own ways and do their own things? Satisfy the lust of their flesh. And they, they, they go after the parent, put pressure on the parent. And far too often they bow and they give in. Please know this father could have changed some of the rules. This father could have reduced his son's responsibilities. This father could have allowed sin into the camp. He could have compromised at every level to keep his son close, but he didn't. He didn't. And this is what you and I need to understand in this parable. One son stayed faithful to the father and did every single thing he asked while the other son walked away. While the other son rebelled against the household and let everyone else pick up the slack. Let everyone else clean up the mess. Let everyone else put together all the pieces that he left behind. What you and I need to understand, the son didn't just rise up one day and say, I think I'm going to move out today, Dad. There had been something going on in this household. There had been a struggle. There had been some stresses. There had been the birth of some rebellion already. It had already created turmoil in the house. Household, And when this younger son walked out, he left everyone else to clean up the mess. 
And that's how selfishness works. I don't care what kind of pain it leaves behind. I don't care what it burden it puts on my brother. I don't care what kind of pain it brings to my father. I'm going to do what I want to do by God. Pack my bags and walk out. You need to understand that when you walk out on the father, you walk out on a family. You walk out on a brother. You walk out on a mother. You walk out on a husband. You walk out on a wife. When you walk out on the father, you walk out on your responsibilities and the spiritual duties God has ordained in your life. I want you to understand the pep. I've seen people come and go from the house of God. They go when things don't go their way. But I want you to understand that each and every one of us in the household of God have a part to play, a role to play, a purpose to fulfill. And when you walk out, you leave that responsibility to someone else. Someone else got to do your praying. Someone else got to do your praising. Someone else got to do your weeping. Someone else got to do your working and do your walking. Oh, because someone upset me. You walk out on the Father. You walk out on God. And you leave your mess for everybody else to clean up. I'm not saying that's you. I'm saying it happens all the time in the household of faith. This son did the same thing. And God is saying, don't you dare walk out on me. Don't you dare walk out on the house of God and leave your mess to someone else. It's exactly what he did. I'm not mad. I hope you know. I just get passionate. You know me. I'm just trying to communicate what God is saying because he does not want this happening at South Metro Ministries. We've all got a responsibility and duty. And before you get all pitied on yourself and decide to turn your tail and run, you better look behind you and you better see what lives are going to be affected before you walk out that door. What role is going to be unfulfilled? What will of the Father will not be done. You see, there are certain things that only you can do for the kingdom of God and no one else. There's certain prayers that only you can pray and no one else. There's certain individuals that have been ordained to touch God in the throne of God for specific things that no one else can touch God about and concerning. That's why we must be faithful to the Father. It's why we must not walk on the road of selfishness and and self-centeredness. Like I said last week, listen, after the son, this young, this young son had been granted a seed of possibility like we talked about. He had been given the, the seed of potential, but he found himself with absolutely nothing. Found himself with absolutely nothing along the way, church. What I want you to see is that as much as it must have hurt or anguished the father, he let the younger son go. He let the younger son wander in his own ways. The father knew that his son wasn't ready. The father knew that he wasn't equipped. He knew that he didn't know how to handle his money. He knew that he didn't know how to prosper with the money. He knew he wasn't prepared to face the world alone, church, but he let him go anyway because he would not allow sin in the house. Because he would not compromise, because he would not surrender to sin. And if you're wondering who made the right decision, if you're wondering, church, who was justified by their actions and the choices and the decisions that they made, if you're wondering who of these two God honored, let me remind you that the father prospered and the young son came to poverty. The father prospered and was blessed and the young son found himself in a pig pen. 
You tell me who made the right choice. You tell me who made the right decision. You tell me who God honored and who God allowed to suffer. You see, when you walk in your own ways, you will not walk in blessings. But when you stand firm and you fail to compromise in your faith and you are willing to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God will reward you and God will bring your son home. Stop trying to play God and change your family. Let God do it. Let God have control. How proudful we are to think that we've got the ability to change anything. We can't change ourselves. That's why we say, God, forgive me. Because we can't change ourselves and yet we think we can change everyone else. Let God be God in your life and let God be God in the lives of those around you. Do your part and let God do His part. Amen. I'm lost now because I've wandered, but God helped me find my way back, just like this prodigal. Amen. He let the son go. Here's what I'm not advocating. I don't want you to think I'm advocating this church. I'm not advocating that everybody run home tonight and take out a rule book, look how many things their kids' rules have broken, and kick them out of the house. I'm not advocating that. I'm not advocating that you do what you can't do yourself. This is what you need to understand, church. I'm not advocating that you go kick uh, kick out your kids, but I am advocating that you go home and set some standards. That you go home and set some godly standards if you don't have them in your household. I am advocating that every single one of you that have kids or have spouses, you go home and set some godly standards in your household and keep them first yourself. I am advocating that you go home and and make God Lord. I am advocating that you go home and clear out some closets and clean out some clothes. I am advocating that you go home and listen to some music. I am advocating that you go home and look at your movie collection and that you look at your kids' movie collection. I am advocating that you clean up your household of faith. I am advocating that. I'm not telling you to go home and be some some little super spy. But I am advocating that you go home and ask that the Holy Spirit reveal to you the things that need to be revealed. You'll know if you're sensitive to God that something's not right. You might have to talk to a son. You might have to talk to a daughter. You might have to talk to the loved one and say, uh, the Holy Spirit is just revealing there's something not right in this household. And we need to come together and unite stand for the Lord. That's what I'm advocating, church. But here's what I want you to be reminded of. Anytime you try to discipline your kids, anytime you try to point out their faults, anytime you try to steer them in the right direction, Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What you need to understand was that that Joshua put himself on the cross before he decided to put his kids on the cross. Joshua put himself in, in in the first place of accountability before he put his kids into the place of accountability. He said, as for me, me first, I'm going to serve God first. Then my family will serve God. Then my family will serve the Lord. Then my family will walk in the ways of the Lord. Dad, if you're not walking in God's ways, your son and your daughter won't walk in God's ways. Father, if you're not praying, your kids won't pray. Father, if you're not reading the Word, your kids won't read the Word. 
Don't dare go home and condemn your kids for doing something in the extreme that you excuse in moderation. If you got some alcohol in your closet, you got some alcohol in your cupboard, don't go getting ticked off of your kids when they come home drunk. Because you cannot excuse in the you cannot you cannot condemn in the extreme what you you excuse in moderation. So many parents, they watch soap operas and they allow all kinds of filthy garbage to come through on the TV screen. And then they wonder why their daughter comes home pregnant. They get mad because their son is sleeping around. You've got to set some standards in your own household. Don't expect your children to do what you won't do yourself. And this is what Joshua was saying as for me. As for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. As for me, I'm going to be a man of God. As for me, I'm going to be a woman of God. As for me, I'm going to be a father of God. And then my family will follow. Because I'm not going to ask my kids to do what I won't do. You understand what I'm saying, church? So don't be running home examining your kids until you've run home and examined yourself. This is what we need to do. Don't tell your kids to go to a prayer closet when you haven't visited one in years. Don't tell your kids to get in the Word when the only time you open it is when you're here on Wednesday night. Don't tell your kids to get involved in church when all you do is make excuses why you can't get involved in church. It will not work. God is saying, you first. And then it will pass down to your kids. Amen. This young son, listen... Wasn't the father's fault that the son suffered? Wasn't the father's fault that the son ended up with nothing or found himself in need? This son scattered his seed to the wind. And now he was going to reap a whirlwind. This son uh, sowed his seed into a field of flesh. And he was about to reap corruption. He followed his own road and he found himself on a dead end church. Just like we will when we walk away from the father. The end of every selfish road is a dead end. And if you don't find your way back to the Father, it will be an eternal dead end. We thank God that this young son, because the Father trusted his Father to bring his son home, that he did, and he came home, and he had life eternal. We're going to look at that one next week. But here's what you need to understand. That the pleasures of sin last only for a season. You see, as far as this young son, he ended up with nothing. He found himself at a dead-end road. He was given so much and he ended up with nothing. Why? Because the pleasures of sin last only for a season. Because the devil's promises are nothing but a lie. Because the Bible says the flower fades and the grass withers. All of these things will pass away. Your bank account will one day be no more. The clothes that you wear will, will deteriorate. The, the cars that you drive will turn to rust and they'll, they'll fall apart. They are temporal things. They are temporary things. And all of those things will pass away, church. This young man was granted so many things, and he he ended up with absolutely nothing. Verse 14, it says, After the son had spent everything, which we looked at towards the close of last week, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. And like I said last week, he drank to his fill, but he still found himself thirsty. He ate like a glutton, but he still found himself hungry. He yoked himself to the wild women of the world, thinking that, that he would find pleasure, thinking that he would find uh, satisfaction. But we t- it turns out that he found himself alone, all alone, no women, just a bunch of pigs. 
squealing and wandering around. He wasn't smelling the sweet fragrance of the, the prostitutes that he once spent his time with. He was smelling the slop of the pigs. And this is exactly what happens when we walk in our own ways instead of the ways of the Father. Because the temporary pleasures of sin cannot satisfy the eternal desires of the soul. Because the things that are passing away, church, the things that won't last, the things that are temporary will not and cannot satisfy that which is eternal. That which will live on forever, and that's the soul. You see, your body will die. Your body will, your body, your body will decay. Your, your body will end up going to a grave. Your body will end up turning into dust, but your soul will last for eternity. The car you drive will, will turn to rot. But you, your soul will last for eternity. The food you eat will, will decay, but, but your soul will last for eternity. That's why the things of this world can't satisfy the soul, because things that are temporary cannot satisfy things that are eternal. It's impossible. They're lower than the soul. Our soul was given to us by God. It's eternal. That's why there's nothing in this world that can satisfy the longings that's in the depths of your soul. It cannot satisfy the hunger and the heartbeat of your soul. Drugs won't do it. Alcohol won't do it. Prostitutes won't do it. Money won't do it. Popularity won't do it. There will always be an emptiness. There will always be a hollow place in the center of your soul. If you try to satisfy yourself with worldly pleasures, they will pass away. They won't satisfy, church. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says eternity has been placed in the heart of every man. Well, who's it been placed there by? I didn't put it there. Your creator put it there. Eternity has been placed in the heart of every man. What that means, church, is that the soul of every individual, whether they believe it or not, whether they understand it or not, whether they comprehend it or not, whether they acknowledge it or not, or even receive that truth or not, church, every single soul yearns for eternity. Every single soul longs to be reunited to the Father. Every single soul hungers for heaven, yet so often it settles for slop instead. So often, we follow in the footsteps of the, the prodigal son who thinks worldly pleasures will satisfy the longings of the soul, and it doesn't work that way. Only things eternal can satisfy the desires of your soul. You know what things eternal are? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Father. It's the Son. It's the Word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the Word of the Lord will stand forever. Prayer is eternal. Because our prayers, the Bible says, are bottled up in heaven. And whenever God chooses to, he just opens one up and he listens to our prayers. They are like aroma to him. Our prayers are eternal. Worship is eternal. It echoes through eternity. These are the things that, that will satisfy the desire of our soul. And yet we, when, when we find ourselves in struggle, they're the very things we walk away from. When, you, when you're faced with a time of difficulty... So often we, 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 we dive ourselves and throw ourselves into the pleasures of this world, thinking it'll take away the pain, thinking it'll take away the struggle, thinking it'll take away the discontentment that we have, and it only makes us more hungry. It only makes us more desperate. Those are the times, those are the moments that we need to throw ourselves into prayer. Those are the moments that we need to throw ourselves into the Word of God. Those are the moments that we need to lift up our hands and begin to worship the Lord because things eternal will finally satisfy the longings of your soul. When you're overwhelmed, when you're overwrought, when you're overcome, there's only one thing that will take away the pain. It's things eternal. And this is what you and I need to do. We need to throw ourselves into things that are eternal, church. What was it Jesus said to the woman at the well? 
She said, everyone, or he said, everyone that drinks from this well will thirst again. The well that he was sitting on, the well built by, uh, made of stone, the well that was dug by the hands of man. These, this is the well, Jesus said. Everyone that drinks from this well will thirst again. Everyone. Doesn't matter what age you are, you're young, you're old, doesn't matter how rich you are, doesn't matter how popular you are, doesn't matter how prestigious you are, or how powerful you are, everyone, Jesus said, that drinks from this well, everyone that drinks from the well of this world will thirst again and again and again and again and again. Why do you think, why do you think beer is sold in six packs? Because one's not enough. Why do you think there's 20 cigarettes in a pack of cigarettes? And I had to look that one up to find out how many there were. It's because one's not enough to satisfy. Why do you think Playboy magazine is sold in subscriptions? Because one month is not enough to satisfy the longing of your soul. Why do you think McDonald's has single burgers and triple cheeseburgers? Because one's not enough. Why do you think you get a whole bag of potato chips? Because one's not enough. Because the longings of the soul will not be satisfied by the things of this world. Nothing will satisfy the longings of your soul. You can't go to a five and dime. You can't go to a fast food mart. You can't go to a shopping center and buy anything except the Bible that will satisfy the longing of your soul. Everyone who drinks from a worldly well will thirst again, Jesus said. I even put in here because I love them. Why do you think there's 40 Oreos in a box? Because one's just not enough. And if you can't have it with some milk, it's not even worth having. But I say all that, church. You understand. I I don't care how many Oreos you eat. You might get full here, but you're still going to be empty up here. I don't care how many prostitutes a man allows into his life. He might be satisfied in his flesh. But he's going to be empty right here. I don't care how many pills you take. I don't care how many, how many drugs you shoot. How many things you snort. I don't care how many things you look at. I don't care how many things you indulge yourself in in the flesh. It will not satisfy the soul. And this is what the father had hoped the son would learn at the end of his road. And thank God that he did. We're going to look at it in just a, a little while or next week. But Jesus said, if you drink from this well... I believe he pointed to himself. If you drink from this well, well, what well? He had to be making references to something. I know he did. He went on and he said, if you drink from this well, if you drink from the well of the Father, if you drink from the springs of living water, Jesus said, if you and I drink from the rock that was cleft for you and me. You remember, church, the rock, and this isn't in my notes, but I want you to understand what I mean by this. When the children of Israel wandered through the desert and Moses was told to speak to the rock and water came forth from the rock and then he struck the rock and it broke and water came from the rock. The Bible tells us that that rock was Jesus Christ. And it followed them everywhere. What I'm telling you is that same rock that was in the wilderness was the rock that was beat, the rock that was whipped, the rock that was torn apart, whose flesh was torn wide open. It was the same rock that was hung on a cross. And when they stuck a spear in his side and put a, put a cleft mark in his side, it flowed with blood and it flowed with water. So the souls of man would once and for all be satisfied. This is the water Jesus said you must drink from. It's the water 
water that flowed from my side. It is the sacrificial water. It is the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the water and the blood that will wash you white as snow. You drink of anything else, you're going to be thirsty. You eat of any other loaf of bread, you're going to be hungry. But when you eat from the bread of life and you drink from living waters, you will not thirst again, Jesus said. Amen. Praise God. That's why you hear me say it all the time. That's why you hear me say there is only one person who can satisfy the thirsty and fill the hungry with good things. It's not McDonald's. It's not Burger King. It's not Zaxby's. It's not any other of your favorite eateries. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't have Him in your life, you're empty. If you don't have Him in your life, you're thirsty. If you don't have Him in your life, there is a longing that you can't figure out where it's coming from. You're trying to fill it with every other thing, but it'll only be satisfied through Jesus Christ. If you drink from the springs of living water, you will never thirst again. Unfortunately, the younger son had to find that out the hard way. He ran out of food. He ran out of funds. He ran out of friends. He ran out of favor. Nobody wanted anything to do with him anymore. You read through it, we'll look at it in a little bit. He ran out of everything he had except one thing. Anyone know what it is? Ran out of, one, ran out of everything except one thing that he was still holding tight to was his pride. He ran out of everything except pride, the Bible says. And how many of you know, church, that pride has the power to keep on going when everything else has failed? Pride, for some reason, church, has the power to keep on going when everything else has failed. When the cupboard's bare, pride can keep on going. When the car has been repoed, when the house has been repossessed, when, when everything that you have worked for and lived for is gone, pride can still raise its ugly head and keep you from finding blessing, keep you from turning to the Father, keep you from that place of repentance. It happened with this young son. Pride had the power to drag him into poverty, and it has the power to drag us to hell as well. Look at it. In this parable, we find the the young son is broke. He's broke, but he's still not broken. You find that he is hungry, but he's still not humble. You find him in a place of need, but he's still not willing to confess his corruption. He, he's in a place of lack and longing in his life, but he's still a prisoner to his own pitiful pride. And so will we be, church, if we follow in his footsteps. If we're not willing to crucify pride and make room for God in our lives. At this point in the parable, listen... This point in the parable, when he finds himself in need, and we're looking around verse 15, when he finds himself in need, when he finds himself lacking, when he finds and discovers, I've got nothing, absolutely nothing. Everyone has turned away from me. I can't even beg or borrow a a penny in today's thing. Instead of turning to the Father at that point in his life, instead of putting away the pride, he turns away from the Father even again. Two times he turned away from the father in this story, once at home, once in his moment of lack. This is the power of pride at its fullest church. His life was in need, but his heart was still not repentant. His life was filled with lack because his heart was filled with pride. 
And instead of repenting, instead of confessing, instead of turning his life around, instead of coming before the Father with a broken and contrite heart, which he finally does later, but I'm talking about right now in verse 15, instead of confessing to his Father, his heart remains stubborn and proud, and he continued to walk in his own ways. Hope you understand that pride comes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a great fall. I want you to know that pride actually, it's a spirit that goes before the spirit of destruction. They work hand in hand. Destruct pride goes before and it makes a way for destruction to have its way in your life. This is why you need to be so careful with pride. When you open the door to pride in your life, I want you to understand that there is an army of destruction following right behind. And everything you've worked for, everything you've longed for, everything you've prayed for, everything other people have sacrificed for, when you open the door to pride, you are opening yourself to an army of destruction into your life. Destruction stands there waiting for someone to open up the door of pride, to release the spirit of pride in their life, to make a way for him to come and destroy your, for destruction to come and destroy your finances and destroy your marriage and destroy your kids and destroy every area of your life. It's the power of pride. You better be careful opening the door to it in your life because it'll do damage, church. It'll do damage. Listen, he longed to fill his stomach. Well, first of all, pride, it leads us farther away from the father when we need to be near him the most. It leads us farther away from the father when we need to be near him the most. This moment of lack in his life, this moment of, of loneliness, this moment of, of despair in his life, it was when he needed to be nearest to the Father, and yet pride caused him to turn away from him again. You see, pride walks out the door instead of bowing a knee. Pride walks out the door instead of, instead of saying, Dad, I'm sorry. Pride walks out the door instead of saying, Father, I'm guilty. Pride walks out the door, it packs its bags, it does its own things instead of admitting its own fault. That's what pride does. It's what happened in this young man's life two times. He longed to fill his stomach in verse 16 with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. No one would give him anything. I want you to understand what was going on in his life. He asked. He, he asked all that he could. He begged all that he could. He had borrowed all that he could. He used up everyone's graces. As soon as he walked into the, into the, someone's presence, they turned their back and run away. They didn't want, this is what was going on in his life. Oh, he's coming to borrow money again. He's coming to, he's coming to beg again. He's coming to, coming to have me bail him out of his situation again. Here he comes. Oh, I'm going that way. This is what was happening in this young man's life. He begged, borrowed, he probably even stole just to try to survive. He couldn't, couldn't get anything. No one gave him anything. Not even the pods the pigs were eating. His money failed him. His wisdom failed him. His strength failed him. The prestige that he had when his pockets were full of money failed him. The popularity that he had when he was throwing it around recklessly, that failed him, church. His friends failed him. His pride even failed him. It followed him all the way, but it failed him too. And he finally came in, and finally in the midst of this hard place, his heart began to soften. Isn't it amazing how God works, church. It's amazing to me everything that this young man went through. And all of a sudden, in the hardest of places, his heart begins to harden. But, I mean, his heart begins to soften. But that's exactly the way God works, church. Sometimes he lets us fall on hard places so that our soul might start becoming soft. You see, sometimes, church, God allows our resources to run dry so that we might thirst for his resources. 
Sometimes, church, God leaves us to our own devices so that we might leave them behind. Sometimes, church, he lets the whale swallow us so that we swallow our pride. This is the way God works sometimes. And the hardest thing as a parent is to let God do that in our kids' lives. The hardest thing for us to do as a parent is to let go and let God. The hardest thing for us to do is to look and know and understand what's going to happen to our son. The heartache that the son or the daughter is going to go through if they go down that road. And we try to interfere. We try to intervene. We try to play God. We try to make it all work out. And all we're doing is interfering with the supernatural work of God. Sometimes we've got to let our children fall from a place of pride so humility can rise up in their life. Sometimes we need to let them go as low as they can so that God can bring them up. Sometimes they have to see from what height they have fallen in order to long to go back to the Father. It's what happened with the Son. He saw from where He fell. He knew what He walked away from. But the only thing, the, the thing that happened, had to happen in His life first, church, was His pride had to die. Go ahead and put on the music. His father surrendered his son to God. And because he did, you look at verse 17. Because his father was willing to surrender his son to God, it says, when he came to his senses, in verse 17, while he was wallowing with the pigs, while he was listening to them preach, I say. You see, the funny thing about this story to me is he tried to get away from his father's preaching. He tried to get away from his father's two cents. He tried to get away from from the the word of his father. And I, I, I believe with all of my heart that while he was wallowing around with the pigs and they're doing their... He's hearing his daddy. I think the pigs began to preach and they began to tell him exactly what was wrong with his life. Because right there in the pig pen, the Holy Spirit did something in his life and he came to his senses. He, he understood finally the error of his ways. Maybe he got tired of the smell. Maybe he got tired of the snorting. I don't know what it was. All I know is that the Holy Spirit finally brought this young man to his senses. Because the father gave his son to God and God brought his son home. You and I need to understand that church as I bring this to a close. If you have some music, go ahead and put it on. When he came to his senses, the son said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. You see, he began to remember everything he walked away from. He began to he began to smell the good cooking. He began to, I believe with all of my heart, he remembered the hug of his father. I believe with all of my heart, you, you know, when you hug someone you love, you know exactly what they smell like. Oh, you know exactly what they smell like. And I believe while he was wallowing with the pigs, he began to smell the scent of his father. I believe he began to smell the scent of his brother. I believe he began to hear the the laughter and the voices of his father in a good way. Not the preaching, but the loving voice of the father. Everything began to change in this young man's life. Why? Because the father let God do his work in his life. 
You and I need to do the same thing. This is what brought the the young man home. And I'm not going to get ahead of myself because I want to cover it next week. But as I close, here's what you and I need to understand. That this young man's fall started before he ever left his father's house. His road to ruin was being paved before he ever walked out the door. Like I said, it just didn't just happen overnight. He was in rebellion before he packed his bags and went. Something had already gone sour in this young man's soul. And the father had to let him discover the error of his own ways. The father didn't blanket the boy with blessings while he walked in his own ways, while he did his own thing. He loved him and he prayed for him while he was wandering in darkness. And he trusted that God was going to bring him back home. And we need to do the same exact thing, church. But remember, listen, the son walked away and the son had to come back home. The son is the one who rebelled against uh, the father and the son is the one that needed to repent. The son was the one who had to come to a place where he found himself guilty. And this is what I'm going to close with because in verse, in verse, where are we at? Verse, is it verse 18 where he says, I will... Go to my father and I will say to him, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. You see, something happened in his soul. Something happened in his heart. And here's what I want you to see. When he was at home in rebellion, from the abundance of his heart, his mouth spoke selfishly. It said, give me my inheritance. Give me what's mine. His father gave him that, but didn't give him anything else. And he let him wander in the error of his ways. He turned him over to God and he he prayed daily for God to do something in the soil of his soul. And here in verse 18, we see the miracle has taken place. Because here again, from the abundance of his heart, his mouth spoke and said, I'm guilty. His mouth spoke and said, I need forgiveness. His mouth spoke and said, I'm sorry. I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against my father. And from the abundance of his heart, his mouth spoke once again. But it spoke completely differently. You you could sense that he was concerned about his father's feeling. He was concerned about his father, not himself. I'm guilty. Something happened in the soil of his soul. And this is why I said in the beginning, we need to be more concerned about the soil of our soul. Because when that changes, our words change. His words changed because his heart changed. And he said, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I walked away. I treated my dad poorly. I made the wrong decisions. I I, I trusted in myself. I allowed pride to take me on a wicked ride. I'm selfish. I'm sinful. And I'm going to go back to my father. And that's where we're going to pick up next week. But here's where what I'm closing. How many of you are willing to say tonight, God, I'm guilty. God, I'm guilty. No one around me knows. But God, you know, I'm guilty of something or I'm guilty, God. Maybe I've walked away. Maybe I've 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 shunned the word. Maybe I've I've shunned prayer. I'm guilty, but I'm guilty, God. I'm guilty of not loving you like I should. Guilty of walking in my own ways. I'm guilty of allowing pride to keep me from making certain decisions. I'm guilty of of allowing pride to have its way in my life. Guilty, church, for, for not taking personal responsibility for my personal life. You see, I, I don't want to go too long, but up until verse 18, 
this young man blamed everybody else. He, he was not willing to take personal accountability for the condition of his soul. He blamed his father. He blamed his son. Maybe he blamed his mother that we don't even hear about in this story. Maybe his mother passed away. Maybe she died. Maybe he blamed it on his upbringing. Maybe he blamed it on the sadness if he lost his mom. Maybe he blamed it on something. But the reality is until verse 18, it was everyone else's fault. His situation, his circumstance, his failures, his lack, his need was because someone else let me down. Someone else failed me. But come verse 18, that all turned around and he was willing to take personal responsibility for his life. Personal responsibility for his spiritual condition and said, I'm guilty. If you're here tonight and you're saying, God, I'm going to take personal responsibility for my spiritual life. God, I'm going to take personal responsibility for my faith, for my household, for, for me. I'm going to take personal responsibility. I want you to stand to your feet. I don't care where you are, if you're on top of things with God or you're, you're, you've fallen away. Tonight, what you're saying is, God, I am going to take personal responsibility for the condition of my soul. I'm not going to blame anyone else. I'm guilty, God, of something. And this is what I want you to think of. If God has spoken to your heart tonight, if he has brought you to your senses, if he has revealed something about the condition of your soul tonight, I want you to confess that as we pray and say, God, here's where I'm guilty. And I confess to you tonight, God, that I have sinned against either someone, but I've definitely sinned against you. And I ask that you forgive me. Like David, search me, O God. Know my heart. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way within me, and if there is, cleanse me of every sin and set me free. Make that your prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word this evening. I thank you, Father God, for the willingness of your people to tarry a little bit longer than normal, Father. But I pray that the words of heaven, I know I spoke them, God, but they came from heaven. They came from your Holy Spirit. They came from your word. And I pray that these words, Father God, would find a place into the soil of our souls. God, that they would bear fruit, that they would accomplish the purpose for which they are sent. I pray against the spirit of pride that might be in the house tonight. Father God, for, for, for us that have walked in our own ways, for us that have leaned on our own understanding, for us that have walked in the spirit of pride, thinking that we can do a better job than you with our own life or with the lives of others. God, we ask that you would forgive us. I pray that pride would die and that humility would be birthed in our lives. God, because your word says that we are to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord so that God might lift us up. And God, if there's anyone in the house that's struggling with children, they, they've got difficulties in their household, oh God. I pray that they would trust you. I pray, Father God, that they would turn this situation over to you, God. Not try to struggle with it, deal with it, change it in their own strength. But that they would trust in you to bring the son home, bring the daughter home. Bring the, the lost loved one home, Father God. I pray that you would forgive us for trying to play God, thinking we can do a better job than you. But ultimately, Father God, I pray that we would all find our way home. God, that each and every day we would make ourselves available to you, available to your word, available to your rule and reign in our lives. Thank you for your word, God. Help us to walk in it. Help us to operate in it. Help us to be led by your Holy Spirit and not by the flesh, God so that we can walk in blessings and prosperity and not find ourselves playing among the pigs in a place of poverty. Bless your people, I pray today, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Can we just bless the Lord for His Word tonight? Amen. Amen.
I know I was boisterous. I know I was loud. I know I was excited. No, I wasn't preaching in a condemning way, but in a way to set you free. Amen. If you have a special need, I'd be happy to pray and tarry with you. Otherwise, be blessed and do the will of the Father. Amen.